Right, right. And my point before was that this is a very counter to the sort of pop culture notions that we live in an instant gratification society is that we are instantly gratified all the time. And this is kind of an opposing perspective to that mainstream theory, which is, no, we're not instantly gratified all the time. We're actually more delayed in our gratification than any society before now. The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Welcome to the podcast. Mr. A has been battling Wi-Fi outages with the internet company that wants to send him links to fix the Wi-Fi outage. No, it's not even Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is working fine. It's... (laughs) It's the internet connection that's a problem, and they want me to go online to resolve the problem, which not being able to get online is the problem. So I don't know how they expect me to facilitate that, but uh, okay. Oh, my God. These clowns. Yeah. These internet clowns. Please solve your problem on your own so that we can help you resolve the problem. And then, yeah, didn't you report the outage, and they were like, Sorry, there are no outages that have been reported where you are. Uh, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I think I'm reporting the outage, actually. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, I think you brought more entertaining stuff. Uh, and honestly, I mean, you're just never prepared, so it's fine. We'll just do it this way. Um, I'm just never prepared. Mr. A is getting fired from the show, but it's okay. Sorry about our podcast being late. Um, oh, yeah, that was my problem. We don't make any money and we don't care, so whatever. No um, one even listens. That's why so it doesn't matter. If there, Even if there were just some people listening, I feel like at least a little bit of responsibility, <laughs> but until people start listening, it's hard to, hard to really get a... That's right. If you're listening right into the show, tell us that we need to get our act together and we Actually, will. Um, this has a lot to do, our motivation here has a lot to do with the first topic that I, we were going to talk about, our compensation. Oh no, Ben is frozen. Of course he is. See, this is exactly what we were talking about. How is this even happening? Set on. Okay, you're on my headphones. You're in my headphones now. Well, the audio is not quite as good, but that's fine. Everything should be just fine. Before we got disconnected, you had said we were talking about how no one was. Wait, what? Sorry. Yeah. Okay. I was just fixing my setup. Okay. But we're good now. So we were talking about how we suck and how nobody listens, and that's why we suck. And that has everything to do with this ID compensation theory, which is what I'm bringing up because I wanted to bring up a topic that nobody's interested in. Um, And you think it'll tie into your stuff, so that's great. Let's just, I'm going to give you my spiel. It's weird because I can't see you now. This is so weird. Um, But you're still there, right? This is very authentic conversation. The literal phone call, guys. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give you my spiel on the ID compensation theory. And then we'll see where that takes us. If it's a total dud, we'll just leave it in because it'll be informative. Uh, but we'll, 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 we'll just see. Okay. Whatever. Yeah, Mr. A's internet's gone out twice today. So I literally, it went out at my house 
We already explained how bullshit that was. Xfinity is the most garbage company that ever touched God's green earth. They freaking suck. And so I got out in my flip-flops, threw everything in a bag with Kim, who also has to work from home. We got under an umbrella, marched down to grandma's house where we were picked up, driven to Kim's parents' house so we could both do our work got online for about 45 seconds and then immediately the internet went out here it stormed earlier it's not storming now i don't know what the problem is i'm guessing it has to do with their troubleshooting on the outages maybe they had to reset or disconnect something i don't know but it's kind of crazy so oh my <laughs> anyway. anyway well we're here now we're here now okay anyway id compensation theory what the hell is this i mentioned it on a last or a prior podcast whatever. yeah so okay so this is what i gather are you ready this is kind of my spiel on this really brought me back to like being in at university because you had to like read this thing this like scientific or whatever paper and then it's not like when you had to read yeah. and think for real. Yeah, it's not like reading other stuff. So that's why I actually feel like even if this goes nowhere, it is like a value added thing, like a valuable thing, because it's like something that you're not going to like come across this on your own, probably unless you're looking for. It. And then even if you do come like actually look for it and find something like a paper or whatever, read like what we read, you actually have to read it like. I had to read it and read it and read it and take notes and like reformulate it in my own words just to like even kind of grasp the concept. It's not even complicated, but that's just how this kind of stuff you have to absorb it because it's so it's so well, specific. They thought about it for hours and hours and hours, and then they're just like writing, you know, a couple pages on their hours and hours of thinking. So it's like, yeah. okay, now I got to sit with this for a while. And there may even be some issues with it. And unfortunately, this is what I'm most upset about with this whole internet thing is I left my notes at the freaking house, but I have some of them on the computer. So I'm just going to go through like these notes and then I'll try to remember the other stuff because the it, we're doing it on this the fly. is all on the fly, but it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I actually am really encouraged by this level of preparation that I actually did do. So let's hope it's stuck in the brain. Oh so, okay. ID compensation theory, the most boring title of a thing ever, but this is... ID stands for instant delay. Right. Instant I, slash I go, delay. I'll go through that for sure. Okay. So this is like a little five-minute thing. I'm going to... It's probably taking me like five minutes max to get through this these notes, but I think it's like very clear by the end what's going on. So, and then you could tell us probably why you brought this up and like how it makes sense for like our broader c cultural, whatever conversation. So this ID conversation theory, this theory seems to have been developed as like an alternative ex explanation for human behavior because like that's what psychology, you know, technically does. You, you know, on one level, we, we act certain ways, psychology observes it. And like tries to explain what's going on. And it's this alternative explanation basically because classically or before, you know, the ID compensation theory, there was this tendency to explain human behaviors, like all of our behaviors through like motives <clears throat> or motivations. So 
like we're motivated to avoid rejection from a group or we're motivated to think positive, uh, positively about ourselves or motivated, you know, not to uh, think about the our own awareness of our death, whatever. There's some examples the guy that wrote this paper gives. We'll say his name in a minute. So obviously the effects of these motives is, you know, of these classic motives is to act in a way that's in according, you know, according to those motives. So like to mitigate or reduce uh, rejection or a feeling of rejection, or well, maybe we inflate our ego to have a better self image of ourselves and, you know, in our head or, you know, whatever, try not to think about death, whatever, just different behaviors that are, that we do that are motivated by these motivating factors, these motives. That's how we've always, that's how they've kind of tried to understand human behavior in the past. And so this is like a new thing. So there's a whole litany of motive-based explanations. So the ID compensation theory is supposed to be this alternative to this whole slew of motivation explanations. So instead of this list of things that could be motivating us, it claims like a single, more general kind of big picture system that drives our social behavior. And he, he puts it that like it actually governs the effects of the other motivations. So he leaves those motivations in place. Like, you know, they're, they're real, but those aren't the primary thing going on with our behavior. So he says it like governs the effects of those, meaning it kind of like governs the strength of those motives, if you will. Like in other words, if you're, if your ID compensation is out of whack, then you will be out of whack generally. You'll be more sensitive to those other motives, like being rejected from a group or whatever, you know, your fear of death and that kind of thing. So your actions will be governed by those things more so if your ID compensation is not, you know, up to par, which will be clear in just a second. So what ID compensation actually means is um, well, the I, like you said, stands for immediate, re- and it stands for immediate return. And the D stands for delayed return. And the theory seems to kind of postulate, you have to kind of extract this a little bit, at least from the paper I read, that the theory kind of postulates that um, these immediate and delayed are, you know, are associated with immediate and delayed needs and abilities. And the immediate or the I is actually more associated with needs from what I gather. And the D is kind of more associated with abilities, which will make absolutely perfect sense in just a second, because it might sound like we're getting complicated, but we're actually about to get super clear and simple because it's going to make total sense. It's not a, it's not like a list. It's just two <laughs> things, I and D. So the immediate uh, return needs, which is the I in the ID compensation theory, is basically just simply feedback that you're making progress towards a belief or, or, or towards a goal and a a belief basically that you will attain that goal some at some point so in other words the feeling of progress and the belief in success like i'm doing something i have a goal and i want and i'll eventually i'll like get to check that box off i'll, I'll attain that goal okay so that's that's the i in ID compensation theory, very simple. The D, the delayed, so like a delayed uh, ability, uh, what, what was the word I was using? Response or reply 
abilities are basically he, he this guy basically focused on two particular things that fall in this category and there he calls them simulation and problem solving and so the less basically you could think about it like this i think that the less i you have the more d you get and vice versa so you feel like you're making no real progress, which means you know no I, no immediate return. Or um, so you feel like you're not making progress. You kind of don't believe that you're going to reach your goal. Then you start, you know, using these delayed return abilities, so like ruminating and thinking about it and spinning your wheels or prob- problem solving, as he said. So you're trying to figure out basically how to get back to the I, how to get back to feeling like you're making progress again because you're kind of stuck. And so, you know, you remember we said that ID compensation governs the motivational effects uh, that we, you know, used to believe kind of motivated everything. Well, then you're, you know, you're stuck in the D world, basically. And that if, if you are stuck in that D world, like thinking and turning, spinning your wheels and trying to figure it out and problem solve and get back to feeling that good stuff again, that's actually, he believes, when you're more susceptible or, or the theory states that, that, you know, that's when you're actually become more susceptible to those other motivations that we used to believe kind of governed everything. So like, if you are not making any real progress, you don't feel like you're making progress, you don't think you're going to reach your goal, and you're just ruminating and spinning your wheels and, you know, frustrated like that, that's actually when you become more sensitive or susceptible to like, uh, feeling those, you know, group rejection and things, and it'll make you now you're going to act out in ways, behave in ways that indicate that you're kind of stuck on, you know, you're being motivated by some like these other, these other kind of outside factors, which are still just as important. And the only, so that's pretty much it. And the last piece that I'll add, which I think is where you brought this into our conversation previously, was that the one of the According to this, to this guy that wrote this paper, um, some professor Leonard from UGA. Leonard L. Martin from yeah, UGA. He's a department yeah. of psychology person. So this this actually, this is just intuitive, and he didn't really do too much argumenting, or, or maybe he did by the end. I didn't read the entire thing. I didn't have time. But that he believes like the, the main factor that really determines your ID compensation health, basically because he thinks of it as like an immune system against those other kind of motivations, fear of death, all that kind of stuff. So he thinks that the the kind of best indicator is your, and he, he says it this way, position in life, which makes total sense. So like if you're doing well, you're making good money, you're having, a, you know, you're in a good position in life. I don't know. It's like a chicken or the egg, but like, of course, you're probably – setting goals, attaining your goals, you're getting good feedback, like, you know, literally the feedback uh, for that, you know, immediate uh, response as in I, I'm doing activities, I'm getting I'm rewarded by noticing that I'm accomplishing my goals, getting the sense of accomplishment. Therefore, I feel like my goals in the future will be attained. So it's everything's kind of in this like balance and you just life is good. That's kind of the gist of it. Does that sound like I did a decent enough job kind of summarizing that whole, the whole theory? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I think, um, yeah. So the ID compensation stuff, he says 
So the first line in his abstract is, according to ID compensation theory, the occurrence of several social psychological phenomenon, for example, ego defense and terror management. So those are those underlying motivations, how we explain psychosocial, uh, <laughs> uh, social psychological states in people. Those, uh, those states are moderated by uh, the status of a person's relationship with the environment. And that relationship is your progressed Right, your progress towards goals and then those goals being made, you know, manifest or whatnot. So it's like if you, you know, are like say you're literally like harvesting, you know, some crops or whatever, you like plant the seed and then you watch them grow, you, you know, care for them and then you, uh, you know, harvest. And that's your relationship with the environment, you know. And so like your payoff of the goals is like, your relationship with the soil and the plants and nature like providing the food for you. And so he's saying that really you have this underlying relationship with nature about, you know, achieving your needs, like your goals, like basic and more abstract. Um, and that that really governs all of these other things, which is like and moderates all these other things like, oh, social conformity, defense, uh, ego defense, terror management, which is like the fear of death. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's tr- so. Yeah, I agree. And but I will add that as far as the farming example, he actually uses agriculture kind of as an example at one point. But what what he is he uses the that kind of a lifestyle. This is the notes that I left at home, unfortunately, that I have taken copious notes on. But basically, he's saying he he uses that kind of farmer example as an example of a society much like we have kind of modern society, like agricultural society, where a lot of what you're aiming for, a lot of the relationships even that you have are in, in like a kind of a a stationary society like we have is rather than like stationary as in not a hunter gatherer, like not nomadic or whatever that we, that, that, uh, the farmer example really feeds from the uh, delayed side of things, the delayed response, because so much of, of like that activity is, will I, did I sow enough? So you're, he's like focused on, he, he says, we're like focused on the past and the future, but not much in the present, you know, like I'll do the work now. And then I, you know, my, I wonder, did I plant enough? Will the rain come? Will we have a good season? You know, will I be able to sell this? Well, how will the harvest be? You know, right, it's a there's delayed so return. many contingencies yeah. based on a delayed return. And because, and there's nothing, in a way, he's kind of saying like, that's just society, how we do it. There's not really much you can do about it. And his kind of overarching point is that he presumes, because everything ever has to presume like some super long time scale, evolutionary time scale, no matter what. So he he basically assumes that, well, we came into our kind of current form throughout most of history in a more immediate return kind of environment. And so perhaps we're not well adapted to this now. uh, And that's where that my notes revolve around that I don't have. Well, that's that the cult, like we live in a culture of like very, very heavily dependent on delay return. Right. Yeah. So that's the point I was making before. It's like, we live on a very contingent, uh, 
in a very contingent society, which is why things are delayed is because they're contingent on other things, prerequisites happening. So like what you were saying with the farming, it's like, well, you know, the rain has to come. I have to have sowed enough seeds. The crops, you know, can't die. The pests can't eat them. Um, we can't, you know, have new needs all of a sudden where we need more food, maybe our other food sources around. So there's so many contingencies. And then that's the thing that you were saying earlier. You said, well, he talks about how when you are focused on sort of delayed returns, things that are happening far off in the future with lots of contingencies, you tend to uh, like engage in more what he would say like simulation, which is an interesting thought. And so just like basically... Because you don't get the admit, because you're not getting any. It's like not that it's bad to have those delay return things, but you're not in the course of attaining these delay return or like in that environment, you're not getting that eye, that immediate feedback of like, oh, I am doing a good job. Like this is going right, to pay off. Right. This is going to work. But out in order me. to re- like get the delayed returns, you kind of need to simulate in your mind, like what I just ran through, like you have to sort of plan for all the contingencies. So you're you're sort of forced to engage in that sort of behavior when you have such delayed returns. Yeah. Yeah. And he uses like a PhD as an example. Clearly that was a fun time for him because <laughs> he's like, you get the PhD, it's all this work, it takes 10 years, you have no idea anything ever along the way, like every single thing is uncertain. Are they even going to accept my paper? Are they going to make me redo everything? Are they going to make me whatever, you know, am I, is it going to actually land me a job? What are the chances of that happening? How, right. What do I have to do now to make sure that happens later? Like just constant, constant, long-term, long-scale uncertainties and no direct, no immediate feedback to tell you that you're making progress, that, oh, yeah, th- I am doing the right thing. This is the right step, next step. This is the right activity. Right, right. And my point before was that this is uh, very counter to the sort of pop culture notions that we live in an instant gratification society, is that we are instantly gratified all the time. And this is kind of an opposing perspective to that mainstream theory, which is, no, we're not instantly yeah. gratified all the time. We're actually more delayed in our gratification than any society before now. Yeah, I actually think that's a really good point. I don't know if he really fully makes that point, or at least not as coherently as like you just did, which you've made that point before. It's like there it, that is a really interesting thing to consider because that is what we're told. Like that we're just an instant gratification culture. We're just obsessed with like feeling pleasure right now. And in a way, I don't think that's fully wrong. What I think might be happening and maybe he says this at some point but is that because so like what are the examples basically that people use to say like oh see how immediate gratification we are it's like the super consumer society this uh endless scrolling on social medias you know abundant porn uh like the tv like constant streaming of tv amazon shows entertainment shipping. music and <laughs> amazon every yeah everything just wants you know if food is delivered to your house like everything is becoming this way and we engage with it even when we don't even like the stuff you know like people are like i'd rather shop local instead of like chinese shit from amazon but we don't do it and i i think the reason we we are acting in that way that that looks that makes it look like we're super immediate gratification is because, like he's saying, we live in, a, in what we actually live in as far as real goals and real successes and things that actually improve your quote unquote position in life 
all of that is so contingent and so delayed that we and, and we actually have no idea how to actually get back to the eye. So we're ruminating, spinning our wheels, trying to figure it out, and we don't we don't have any actual literal way to get. So what I in that theory is. It really is the feeling of progress, the feeling of accomplishing, you know, tasks, and which leads to feeling like you will get. Sure, to your like goal. hunting and gathering, like you immediately get the food. You know, like you catch the prey and then you eat it, or you find the berries and then you eat them. Yeah, or you, yeah, or you see, you see the, you're tracking the the deer, you're looking for the deer, you find droppings, you find broken twigs, you find somewhere where the deer had laid down. You know, you you. You, those are all signs. Right, you're making that, progress. Ah, I'm yeah. moving towards my goal. I'm moving towards my goal. So because we don't get any of that, we don't even know how to get it for the particular goals that we have, like right, this PhD right. example. I don't even know know how to know if I am making yeah. progress. I'm just doing this 10-year process. So it makes us seek alternative means of getting that immediate res- uh, response, that immediate return. Yeah, well. Feeling of like, you know, and they're, su- they're all superficial, but the, at least they satisfied this, what he would call probably an evolutionary urge to have Im- some kind of immediate gratification, not gratification like preser- uh, pleasure principle stuff. It's not that at all. It's gratification coming in the form of, ah, I'm moving towards my goal. Yeah, I'm satiation. Moving towards my goal. I'm moving towards well, my goal. Well, yeah, reward, yeah. yeah, satiation and also progress toward the goal. That's your dopamine and serotonin system. But I wanted to say, um, yeah, um, so this, like, I like to think about it like a conversation or whatever, like this instant gratification. Like in a conversation, you're being instantly gratified in the sense that you're getting real-time feedback from everything that you say to someone, especially if you're in person. You're seeing their body language, how they react to what you're saying. And then, you know, you get the you know satiation of, like, the person saying something back that continues the conversation. You know, you keep pulling that thread. And that's very, uh, yeah, satisfying. Whereas I think you compare that to like texting and it's very delayed. Literally, there's like a time between uh, every, you know, something someone utters. And it's so interesting because there's actually research on that where like you can measure the time between responses in a conversation and that that can actually be correlated with the intimacy in a relationship. So it's so interesting because like you can, you know, like instantly gratify like when you have a real-time conversation where you're going back and forth and then you we live in a society where you're not instantly gratified and also that reduces intimacy and like one of the things about intimacy and relationships is that you know real-time instant gratification component yeah and you think about like you text somebody you expect there to be a delay because it's a text message but if the delay is like an hour and then it goes like two hours or a day, you know, the longer that time gets, the more of that simulating, problem solving, spinning your wheels you start to do. So you go from an experience that could have a component of immediate re- uh, reply, re- immediate response, you know, feedback of like, this is a conversation and it's going well, we're talking, we're, you know, to, uh-oh, I'm not getting that feedback. And immediately I start switching over into did I say something weird? Maybe they didn't get the text message. Should I send another text? Right. Da, 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 da. Simulation. You're like simulating all the different scenarios. You're like, could it be this? Could it be that? Yeah. 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 So that's that seems true. 
And the theory, I guess, just being that this is kind of the one of the, or at least, I guess, according to the theory, the overarching kind of regulatory system that we're really being motivated by. And that that these two components make up, they make up, like you were saying, the re- your relationship to your environment. Right. That's really the like general principle. Your relationship exactly, to the environment. Exactly. Yeah. It's like we're really just talking about your relationship to the environment. It's like you're an actor in the environment and nature, you know, the environment is like providing for your needs. And so the way in which it does that is this ID conversation theory either provides, you know, today or provides in the future. And so, yeah, you're trying to manage the trade-off between those things um, all the time, which, yeah. It's, and so the implications, I guess, further on, like these cultural, the cultural, like, I guess, implications. Since I can't remember my notes, unfortunately, I'm just giving just keep more telling broad. us you can't remember your notes. We don't care. It's I. It's just <laughs> it's so frustrating because there was I had like three pages of handwritten notes. I'm just so upset. About <laughs> it matters to you, I, but we I, don't. Care. And then my internet. And then like I left it because the internet. And now the internet's out, so it's like whatever. Well, all this is for nothing. But oh um, now I don't even know what I was going to say. Who cares? Don't even have the notes. Um, Whatever's in the notes, just forget it. Um. But while well, you're thinking of that, I went to well, the cultural yeah. aspect. Oh, is, okay. That's what all my notes were about. Is this cultural aspect? So, like, w- like there are implications broadly for the fact, or of the fact that we have we live in a way that we're not getting all that, and it's it's causing us to get what well, I would say. I would if I were writing a PhD paper, it's causing us to get weird. It's making us strange. If this theory is right, PhD paper would be society is causing us to be weird. How ID compensation dynamics cause people to be weird? Because if this is if this is true, I'm just saying. Like I don't know. I'm skeptical of like all this kind of stuff. But like if this is actually true or truer than all the other theories, and then and it's literally talking about like our social psychology, basically or psychology generally, we're social animals, so they're kind of difficult to separate. And then you look at how our society is behaving and what we're doing and how and what just how it's like melting down and going absolutely bonkers. You might try to think about it in this context. Like, and I think that's a it is a big part of what is motivating people. And I think it makes people susceptible to jump on these bandwagons of like hysteria, like freaking out that Trump exists or that he's could be the president or that, or that. Oh, well, exactly. Yeah. Any sort of, we need to go march in the streets for this cause or that cause, because I need to do something now because I don't feel any goals in my life. I don't know what I'm aimless. I'm, I'm lost. I have no, no indication that I'm, moving towards anything well yeah any disturbance in the contingencies is immediately threatening to the achievement of your goals and your needs and so obviously that puts people like kind of on edge like literally if like all your plans are in the future and everything that you need is like planned out and you know it's like well i've done all these things so that i can have all these returns in the future and someone says hey uh you know i i'm throwing a a wrench and whatever your plans and now all these contingencies are messed up uh well that's going to make you very uh yeah anxious i think and so i think you get that sort of response from people where people go a little crazy yeah i mean it would cause i i feel like it would be a, a 
I mean, I'm just going to say it because I have nothing writing on this theory because I'm not the scientist. But if I were, I'd be studying how this relates to the exponential rise in all of these like pseudo psychological problems like ADD, ADHD, you know, attention deficit. What is attention deficit? It's like, I don't know what to do. I do a lot of people do like everything, you know, where they, they can't focus or they focus on everything too much, you know, just like randomly because it, it, you know, that behavior seems really in line with like trying to manage a lot of contingencies. Yeah. Either manage a lot of contingencies or try to get the feeling of progress or having a deficit of attention because you can't understand, you're not getting any feedback that this is actual progress in any way. So you just, you know, you have trouble even focusing at all. Or OCD, a big component of OCD is intrusive thoughts, like hyper fixating on things. And a lot of times things that are just ridiculous, you know, like, did I turn the lights on or off? Did I turn them on or off 20 times? How, why do I keep thinking I want to do this? And I, you know, it's like this intruding thought in my mind. And it's because, you have nothing else to think about. So you're just in this problem solving, ruminating, wheel spinning state of mind constantly. And I think that it also probably drives another kind of pseudo psychological issue like addiction, whether it's like, I mean, we're all probably addicted to our phones, like just scrolling and content and that kind of thing, because it's feeding into that mechanism. I scroll. I'm bored, I scroll, I'm less bored. It's like immediate, bam, 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 just one after another, after another, after another. And that feels good when you're doing it. And then you set the phone down and how do you feel after like an hour of scrolling? You're like, oh my God. You realize like none of that was real. It was all just surface level. Well, it's interesting. Immediate gratification. Yeah, because I wanted to extend the simulation part of what he's saying. So he says, well, you end up simulating, you know, things in your mind to sort of figure out how you're going to get those returns that are now delayed that you would be getting instantly. And so that's like, you know, when this person doesn't text you for a while, you're like, well, could it be this? Could it be that? You're like trying to figure out the problem, you know, like you're the missing gratification of your relationship. You're like trying to figure out how to maintain your relationship, how to get the gratification of your relationship. And so you're like literally like trying to problem solve, you know, you're simulating what could it be? What could it be? all these different scenarios, why this person wouldn't be responding. And then you can like apply that to social media too. And it's kind of interesting because you're like, social media literally is a simulation of relationship. Like it's, you're like going on and constantly pretending as if we have relationships and we're like simulating what it's kind of like to be in a relationship where you would be sharing things back and forth, you know, the commenting and the posting and the whatnot. But it's not really the thing itself. And I think that that has larger implications than just like, oh, you know, well, we're just getting our, you know, what we need later than now. It's also like we're like being hollowed out or something because it's like some of that stuff doesn't ever pay off. And that's the real problem with social media is that you don't like a lot of people don't meet people because of social media. Like they don't go on there and then they're engaging in, you know, these things so that they'll be have gratified long-term sustainable social relationships no that doesn't like social media doesn't result in that like often it results in you having a million followers or something and having vapid almost nothingness relationships with all of them <laughs> and that's very hollowing i think and that doesn't really uh meet your needs at all and so there's like a level of simulation that's like it's not even addressing 
the need at that point. You know, like we're not even getting like it's like, well, if I were planning for the harvest that's going to come, you know, I might think about the hurricane that could come and the you know, the way the crops could be destroyed. And I make preparations to to figure out how to make sure that we end up, you know, reaping the harvest in the in the fall or whatever. But there's none of that in like the social media world. It's not like, well, because I'm, you know, figuring this out on social media, like now I'm going to have, you know, stronger relationships because I'm putting up, you know, boundaries and protections to safeguard me and my relationships. No, it's, there's none of that. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if you thought about that. The reason that stuff works so well, though, is because, and I think this is like a really like important point about the theory. And I think the writer of this article also thought it was a really important point because he made this point a couple times, is that it's not necessarily that the immediate, res- uh, re- re- you know, feedback, the immediate response part, the immediate, uh, I think he calls it reply part versus the, you know, delayed the immediate isn't necessarily about the gratification of of anything. It's not like I'm working towards something and I'm getting the thing I'm working towards or I, you know what I'm saying? It's it's actually about rather the 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 only the thing that's immediate, the only thing that is immediate in the theory is meant to just be the f- it's, I call it a feeling. I think that's the best term for it to make it settle into your mind. It's the feeling of progress because it doesn't have to be the well, thing. Well, it's immediate. So that's the point. Or, it's like you don't, you don't have a feeling of progress if it's immediate. Like there's no time delay. And so it's just the literally instant, like I, that has to hit you in a certain way. Like literally what would it mean to be instant is like completely different than what it means to be delayed. Like to have delay means to feel like there's a discrepancy between where you are and where you want to be and that there's a time discrepancy and component between those two things. Whereas instant or immediate, it, there's none of that. Like you just, you are doing what you need to be doing. There's no time component. You're present, you know, in some sense and you're, you, yeah. But you also don't know if it's going to pay. You don't, you're not getting any. F- so the reason it's important to notice that though, the thing that I'm saying is, the problem, like he, I guess he mentions those contingents, the contingency of the delayed response, the fact that it may or may not work out. That's the fact that we have this system, this broad, like huge system that we live in makes so many delayed kind of interactions, social interactions, every, every kind of interaction, you know, personal, whatever, personal, you know, goals, even like everything because it's in this huge system. And, and since there's so many delayed things, everything is contingent. And so you never even know, you never even know if you're making progress, even if, because even the PhD paper, the example that he gives for like the delayed world, it's like, it's not that like writing the papers, like writing your thesis, you know, like you, if every page or sentence or whatever, every page that you finish of your thesis is has the ability to give you the immediate uh, reply, the the immediate feeling of progress because I finished a page and I know that's progress. It gives me the feeling of progress so I will attain my goal of finishing the thesis. But the problem is that it's all part of a system. So the next part, it's not just the thesis. Then the thesis has to be accepted. Then it has to be 
you know, edit. Then you have to, once all that's done, then you have to make sure, then that actually has to pay off and land you a job. And then that job actually has to be able to pay your bills. And that actually has to be able to pay your bills, plus has to be able to Well, yeah, because we're talking about needs and those are just instrumental goals. So it's like we're talking about like your, you know, the ability to get food, your ability, like Maslow's hierarchy, you know, security, safety, uh, water, shelter, all these things. And so the PhD, like finishing the page is really, that's not important to you. Like that is only important so as it, you know, helps you achieve those other uh, actual needs and goals. But that is an immediate, it does give you the feeling of progress. Like that's integral to the, to the theory is that the, the, I, the immediate part of the theory is the feeling of a comp, of progress. That's what it is. It's just the feeling of progress. But because there's so many contingencies, you actually can't feel it. Even when it, I think that's, I, I may be reading into it a little bit there, but like you actually can't feel the feeling of progress in the yeah. sense that I will actually accomplish this goal one day because there's it's set up with so many contingencies that you can never you never actually know so you can like make a long-term goal like that's healthy right well that's what i was and that's trying part of to our say system. before but you can't it's like when you have so many yeah. contingencies it's like contingent probability like literally just definitionally your confidence goes down like if you say you have five events and each one happens you know with 80% chance it's going to happen, but they all have to happen for you to get X outcome. Well, then it's 80% times 80% times 80%, you know? And so the probability yeah. is... There was an experiment they based. did. Oh, yeah. There, well, there was an experiment they did that I thought was kind of telling. It wasn't this guy's. It was someone else's work, but they took these kids and they offered like young children, like five or something, like really young. And they offered them, you know, an immediate reward that was um, like small or whatever, or a time delayed big award, like a big reward, mm-hmm, whatever mm-hmm. it was. I can't remember. So those marshmallows. So they said one version of it. It's similar, yeah. But this one was interesting because what they did is they took three groups. In the first group, they said, you can have this one now or you can have this one later. That's all they told them. So basically just wait. And the next group, they said, you can have this one now. And then you have this one later. And in the meantime, you could just play with these blocks in the corner, you know, just do something totally unrelated, but like some task, you know, that's like kind of not related. Or the, and then the third group, they said you could have this small thing now, or you can have this big thing after you complete a task that's related to getting the big thing. So like if it's get, you know, you have to figure out how to unlock this door to, get the prize that's behind the door, the big prize. So the task they were asked to do was related to actually getting their ultimate goal. It wasn't getting the ultimate goal, but it was related to it. And in that order, they were lasted, you know, the people with no task took the immediate reward almost instantly. The middle group that said that was asked to do a task that was unrelated to actually getting the prize or the getting the delayed reward basically lasted a medium amount and the group that was asked to do a task that was related directly to getting the ultimate result. So meaning while they're doing it, they have some sense of progress towards the goal 
they actually lasted, those children lasted the longest in waiting for that delayed return, that big reward. So that's what I thought was kind of interesting is that that kind of points to it. It's just the sense that you're making progress that's important. Even if you're not actually making progress. Well, I mean, you could have a false sense. Because you're, you're not making progress. That, I think, is like mostly aligned with reality. Like You would not have that sense if you were not truly making progress. And obviously, in that experimental setup, like you can trust that that is making progress toward your goal because that's how the experiment was designed. They told you, like, if you do this, that will help you progress toward getting the thing. Right. Because you know, and because there was just one. It's just like, here's this, like a simple thing. It's not, and now we live in a society though, where there's this huge system around it. So instead of saying you get, here's the thing you want and you just have to do this task that's associated with getting it, you know, down the road, they say you have to do this task that's associated with getting to another task that's associated with getting to another task that's associated with getting to another task and all these in aggregate, which are all variable and have like dynamic interaction with your life and there's multiple infinity kind of options and that those are somehow all also related to getting that delayed reaction that delayed gratification or whatever and you just can't it's almost like they're just saying you just can't process all that you can't you can't actually have all you know all of that intrinsically like this is a big huge task i got it's like way down the road you you get that but you don't but it's so much that it's difficult to feel like any of the things you're doing, they, they don't give you that feedback that, ah, this is in fact progress because, well, should I, I want to start a lawn company. Should I buy uh, a mower or a trailer first? You know, it's like, you don't, that's a bad example, but you don't really know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but <clears throat> you know, you got to get one or the other. And in that case, it's kind of simple, but those things get bigger and bigger, especially when you start compounding all the systematized things like right, 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 feeding yourself, savings for your future, all of that stuff just starts to like compound until you go, uh, I'm not getting any resp- like feedback from my life that I'm even on the right track. I think I'll just sc- doom scroll on Instagram right. for or the, the next feedback four hours. is so low that it's like I can't even sense it. You know, I'm not even sensitive to changes. That yeah, small. you don't even have any <laughs> sense of progress. Even when it is progress, that's the whole, that's the conundrum is that like it actually could literally be progress, but you don't, because there's so many contingencies and so many delayed things, you just don't know. You're like, well, I don't feel like it is progress. And a lot of times you have the experience and people will come to you and be like, wow, you've made a lot of progress on this. You're like, have I? Like, that's great to hear. You know, you actually get a little boost. Like that's actually an I, that's an immediate uh, reply notion that can help people right a lot. and too it I can think. be hijacked you know someone just coming that's what i you. think that's what i was trying to say about social media like you can almost like the like count like that is like hijacking people's indicators of oh, progress yeah. it's the yeah, eye. it's like people think that as that yeah. goes up like i'm making progress but that's not an indicator of the progress toward your actual needs like relationship needs because the more people like your stuff that doesn't mean the more relationships you have, the more satisfied in your relationships, the more deep relationships you have are. No, it doesn't mean any of that. In fact, it likely means the opposite. Unless you're like commercializing that somehow. Yeah. Unless you're actually like, that's your thing. Like you're, you're meeting your needs somehow. somehow gets yeah, you money. Gets... Yeah. You're somehow meeting some kind of actual need. Otherwise, it's just a proxy for like, 
well, the goal is to have as many likes as like more likes better right. than but less even likes. Then, so I'm yeah, more it's at likes. the expense of other things. <laughs> it's like you may be getting money, but at expense of your sanity and your relationships and who knows. <laughs> yeah, what's that? Yeah. I did want to read this other thing though. So there's another experiment um, called Life or Afterlife, which I just thought this one is so interesting. Um, so I'll read to, from it and we can discuss as we go. So he says, both terror management, which terror management is like everything that you do is explained by your fear of death and the fact that you have to live. Um, so both terror management Quite and possible. this theory that we're talking about, ID compensation, predict that mortality salience, the, you know, knowing that you're going to die, uh, can cause liking for an in-group member to increase relative to an out-group member. So um, both of these theories, the, you know, terror management and this theory say that when you are made to think about death, that can cause you to feel more kinship with people in your group, maybe your family, maybe your country, then, you know. Totally into it. Exactly. So you feel really close to those people you have relationships with, you identify with. And then it says, so according to terror management, the increase would reflect individuals' attempts to bolster their worldview. So terror management is a theory, and they're saying that this theory, um, according to that theory, that when you start liking people more because of your thinking about death, that's because you're trying to enhance your worldview. So... It's kind of interesting. It's very conceptual, like the terror management theory. It's like very heady because that's the whole thing. It's like terror management. It's like, well, because you're thinking about death, like because you consciously know it, like you do all these mental things to avoid thinking about that. And so that's weird. I would I would feel like it'd be you're trying to enhance your not your worldview, but your experience of the world. So that's. That's the ID theory. So world, so terror management theory is like, well, you're trying to enhance your worldview, which is like your conceptual schema of what's important, how you see the world, like the narrative that you tell, blah, blah, blah. So according to ID compensation theory, the one we're talking about, the increase uh, would reflect the increase uh, in kinship with those you identify with, those in your in-group. Uh, that increase would reflect an attempt to satisfy your immediate return needs. So they're saying, you know, because again immediate delayed gratification is about your relationship with the environment that he's saying you identify with the people that you or you feel a stronger sense of kinship with the people you identify with the ones you have relationships with because you're trying to satisfy your immediate return needs which would be like your relationships with them which is very much more intuitive to me i don't know what you think uh i get that yeah okay so i understand how that works i might understand it differently uh, with even within the theory but yes i mean because i think you're in the id theory i think you're a little more focused on like the tangibles i'm a little more focused on the theoretical kind of likelihood of it as far as the progress component like just the sense of progress whereas you're actually making the full circle and going but that actually means actual progress and i'm like yes so yeah that makes sense to me that like right so like if i say hey you're gonna die tomorrow or whatever and you're like i feel so close to my you know family that's not because you're like because my family is judeo-christian and i believe that god is you know the christian god and that's all true it's because you're like i 
I only have so much time with my family, and I need to connect with them and, for the experience of it. Yeah. Right. So that right, exactly. So that's life. Yeah. Versus afterlife. So that's more. <laughs> so you're saying that's the understanding within the I, uh, ID. ID compensation. What's so? What's yeah. the other theory? The terror manage. The simply the terror management theory, and it says that you're just trying to enhance your worldview. Right. That's what I would say. Like the Jo Christian. Like it would be like, well, I need to get right before the Judeo Christian God and do the right thing. So here's the experiment. That reminds. That makes me. Let me just say this about that. That is exactly the kind of hypothesis that, like a liberal intellectual. <laughs> working at a university would come up with. It's all about your worldview because they think, because that's how they think. It's all about like ideology and, world, and how I think of the world and worldview. And I'm like on a mission, you know, that's because that's shallow and weird and like ideological. But yeah, go on. Right. So in this experiment, they essentially, um, you know, made people think about death in one group, you know, and then another group they didn't and... Then they presented them with two. Did they just point a gun in their Um, face? Or they gave them they gave them water and they were like, "Oh, that was poison." They asked them to (laughs) write about uh, their death, or uh, wrote yeah about their death. Um, so then they showed them two people. So one person, the cultural standard bearer was depicted as studying hard, having a strong sense of patriotism and spirituality, and having a commitment to helping the poor. So I just think these are funny, like, experimental setups. So that's the first person. The other person, the second person, they were the immediate return satisfier. They were depicted as being tired of holding things in and living up to other people's expectations. She had decided to start telling people more what she really thought, and she no longer cared about being overweight. She had also decided to quit school and travel. <laughs> just Wait, what was the first set? So that's the second person. What was the first? So that's the immediate thing. What was the first one's category? The first one is the cultural standard bearer. So they're committed to helping the right, poor. Okay. They have patriotism and spirituality. They're studying hard. And they're, you know, doing the things for the long term, you know, trying to. That's like the afterlife versus life. So the first person. So they're just showing people hard. these fictitious conceptual people right okay, right got it because they're presenting them as two different stimuli so the one the cultural standard bearer is like that would be so they're trying to rate how much you like these people when confronted with the, your mortality and the idea would be that if you were just trying to bolster your worldview that you would like the person who's studying hard more because they're like doing the things that will be enduring for, you know, they're working on the long-term goals. They're, you know, the, that's what they call them, the cultural standard bearer. Like they're uh, thinking about the afterlife, maybe if they're spiritual, you know, so they're thinking about like what's, you know, I'm going to, you know, I got to go to heaven, so I got to do the things today to make sure I go, um, even though I may not enjoy them or they may not be uh, enjoyable. And then, so that's the first person. So, and then the second person you know, they're saying, well, maybe you'll like this person more if you like the person who's satisfying their, you know, immediate needs. Like, I don't care about what other people think anymore. I'm living my life, you know, how I want to do. I'm not doing this dumb corporate job. I'm going to travel and live my life to the fullest. They, so they're kind of testing if if people liked that person more, then ID compensation theory is a better model than terror management theory. 
if pyramid, if you like the person who's <laughs> is this a you good know, experiment? This is like so <laughs> weird. Like that's a weird way to go about this. But okay, I know, I know, I know. God. It's a little, you know, I should, this is I should how have it been goes. an academic. Like, you got to have a complicated experiment to <laughs> figure out if your conceptual theory is correct. God, okay, got it. What were the results? So yeah, this is interesting. So um. So the participants rated the two people as equally likable and equally similar to them, the themselves, like the participants. Um, however, they rated the cultural standard bearer as being significantly more likely than the uh, immediate return satisfier, that person who's going to quit her job, uh, to make a contribution to society. So the cultural standard bearer is more likely to make a contribution to society, to do something significant in the cosmic scheme of things, to be remembered after her death, and to be living her life according to values that would remain important in society after she died. So, again, so living for the afterlife. What, in some what does that have to do with the price of tea in China, though? Like, how does that have to do with anything in the experiment to set up? Well, so there, so this is just like a confirmation that we are, the experiment is getting us to the right sort of, uh, conclusion so they designed these people you know they had them you know make this act or whatever and then they're like and the one this is what we wanted her to how we wanted her to seem to people that she would do something significant in the cosmic scheme that she'd be remembered after her life and that is so the the people rated the experimental the fake people in accordance with what the experimenters hope they would so basically they were like these setups are valid because people agreed with our what what with what we thought we were creating? They said, "Yeah, that's the exactly. kind of person you yep. created." And we went, "Okay, great, we all agree." But how, so, how did they? Does, did you tell me how they rated them? Or right, no. Oh, okay. So so here's the yeah conclusion. Um, so the results were consistent with ID compensation theory predictions. So participants who had written about uh, television. So this is the one where they didn't think about their mortality. Um, Those people, so that's like the control group, uh, they rated an equal liking for both the two people. So no difference between the one person and the other person. But participants who had written about their death, so when you're faced with mortality, you increase their mortality salience. um, Those people (laughs) indicated a greater liking for the immediate return satisfier relative to the cultural standard bearer. Okay, so that's so the people that wrote about their death. Yeah, so that makes right. sense to me because God, it's actually really that's a bad like the amount of uh what do they call those variables that you're not taking account of. Um it's hard, yeah. You're like trying to control a lot of things and whatnot. Yeah. But it is so one I thought is so interesting. I'm sorry it took a long time to set up, but it's a weird experiment. There's lots of things going on. Now you understand the full picture. But I think the outcome is really counterintuitive. Like, I think lots of people would assume that, well, when you're faced with mortality, you're, like, maybe motivated to act more right, like, whatever you consider culturally righteous, you know, or, like, morally right, like the cultural standard bearer in that experiment. But that's not what happened in the experiment. That People actually had a greater affinity for the person who was, like, I'm quitting my job. I'm living for today. I'm, I don't care what other people think. And that that is a little interesting. So we have this sort of like 
it's not like a true hedonism. Like, I don't think they painted that woman as like a hedonist. Like, she's going to do cocaine now and she's going to, you know, smoke cigarettes, like chain smoke all day long. Uh, but it is a little bit like a, a form of immediate gratification, literally, but like a form of hedonism almost versus like a form of long-term, you know, striving. I don't know. What do you think? What I think is they did the experiment. If I were a grad student, take notes here, like redo that experiment because it's an easy experiment to run, but they did it, they did it backwards. So what they're, what they think they're proving is not what they are actually showing See, this is, let me see if I can put this as simply as possible. But so if they ask people to think about their death and then to engage with these two theories, they're putting the cart before the horse because you're, you're, you're priming or stimulating one of those motives that we're trying to test for, you know? Like you're, you're making me think of death. So how are you, that's not, it seems like you wouldn't be able to actually, I don't know, something about that seems weird to me. I don't, I, I get the sense it's not measuring what they think it's measuring, but I do find it interesting that hmm. if you, do you is, is what I'm saying, I know it's, it's hard to, I'd have to write down what I'm saying in like a, so I can get it in like a logical format. But do you see what I'm kind of saying there? Like they're, they're, I don't know if, and maybe that's the goal that maybe that they're trying to say, even if we prime this, yeah. it still turns out that people have an affinity. They're not. Yeah. I mean, I see something in what you're saying, but yeah, I think they're, it doesn't matter for their experimental setup. They're like, well, like they're almost testing the predictions of terror management theory, which is like, well, you're salient of your death. And then because of that, you, like uh, terror management theory is like, well, you have a worldview and you would double down on your worldview. And then they're like, well, then when you do that, though, that's not what people actually do. They don't double down on their worldview. They don't like the cultural icon more. They like the person who's doing something for them, like something kind of individual. And that's their point is like, so ID theory is more accurate. Yeah. If that's what they were going for, that's so simple. It's like if I yeah, tell you, not a, like, if, if I tell you to think about you personally dying, and then, like, of course you're going to, and then I say, what do you want to do now? You want to go party, or do you want to like f- work really hard for? some like legacy or you know you're like of course i'm gonna like i'm gonna (laughs) like i'm dying who cares like i don't need a job i'm no i won't because i'm working for uh like retirement basically like that's the whole setup of our society like i'm working to stop working or something you know or working for the things i want to do but if i don't have any time or what you know what i mean not that they were saying you're gonna die tomorrow but it's just like the when you think of your mortality it's scary you you think well shit it could happen at any time you know, and yeah. then why will I will but, I be happy that I went to work at uh, Xfinity, you know, Comcast or what, you know, the, tomorrow at the call center? You know, of course not. Yeah. Well, isn't it weird, though? Yeah, because it, it does like throw a wrench in things. I mean, to me, it's like I've been thinking and we'll go into this more in another podcast. But like Sam Harris versus like Jordan Peterson. I think Jordan Peterson is like. 
his view is become maximally responsible, become the cultural icon. Operate you know, as like, well as possible oh. as you can in the delay real the delay response reality we live in. Right, uphold the values, and that's how you'll find meaning in your life. Where this is like, it's almost interesting because I think Sam Harris's take is like more, don't worry about that, like control your attention and figure out how to get your attention right in the present moment, in the never ending now. And that other stuff is kind of like story, it's kind of intellectual, it's kind of a dream, it's kind of fantasy almost to him. And I... I agree with both of them. Like, I see some truth in both of what they're saying. And I think this theory really, I think I tend to lean more towards Jordan Peterson. Like, I think, I don't know, I, something in my conscience maybe is like, it's more morally right to be the cultural icon and uphold social values and whatnot than it is to not worry about any of that and just focus on your attention and how you feel. You know? well. <laughs> but I see the benefit of that and I see... Uh, how the criticism of, you know, taking the cultural icon view. But this experiment almost tilted me more toward the Santa Heresy kind of thinking like, oh, it's just like more control your attention. Like, it's interesting. It's well, interesting. I, it's funny because I actually see, I, if I'm just imagining their, their answers to the, like them in the experiment. And I, I actually think both of them would be, you know, the outliers. I think they would be two experimental participants that, had a better, greater affinity for the the collectivist model, the first model, because and mm, the cultural standard bearer. But what that guy who wrote that paper said, and he made it explicit. He explicitly made this point, and he he was like, I think he literally said, like, this is just a point that, like, I I'm going to take the opportunity to say this right here, right now, and then it was like a new paragraph. But he said. The most important thing with all of this inside of this theory is your position in life. And I believe that that is really true. I think without making that note, mm. a lot of it falls apart. Because now imagine Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson taking that and going, yes, we both think that like we would, we both answer that the guy who wants to not like leave a legacy, but do like these things for society, like that's the – that's they would both probably have the affinity for that guy rather than the guy that quits his job and yada yada yada, and I think the reason for that actually may be, which is why the it or id theory might be a little more persuasive here, is because Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris are millionaires, and so what right, they've already you've met their you've, yes, immediate you've needs. attained all of those goals that ninety nine point nine 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 percent of us are well, a lot of us are just. <laughs> We don't even – we're still in the overwhelmed, delayed re reply phase of going, I don't know if I'm ever going to have anything. I don't know if I'm ever going to get – Am I going to make it to next yeah, week? Am I, am I, I going to make it to next am year? Am I always <laughs> going to have to be under the burden of some you know insurmountable rent payment and bills payment? And so if you're – those guys, they hmm. never – I promise you. Sam Harris is from a really – is from a famous family. People don't realize that. But – his mom was like in the golden girls or a writer or something. So and Jordan Peterson's like makes like $80,000 a week or something. I mean, he's, he's making more money than God. So, you know, they never think about those things. Yeah. No, that's such an interesting point. Yeah. You really have to like consider that because this experiment was 
more than likely run on college students who are definitely not in the position that they're in. The we- have you, you know, the and- acronym WEIRD? Oh, yeah, like the, how they describe research participants or whatever. Yeah, white, I can't remember what it is, like white, extroverted. Educated. educated yeah. uh, uh, whatever, you get the point. It's always the same kind of like person. like high income. Yeah, or exactly. Yeah. yeah, so um, so that's a, but that kind of uh, wrinkle still, I feel like, holds up with in the face of the, you know, I, uh, D, theory to a certain extent yeah well it i guess yeah i was trying to how do i you know i'm almost like well this theory can't be right if you know we're not or it can't be good if we're just supposed to reject moral values or whatever that's what was my my qualm with hearing this experimental result i think well and yeah uh, but but your explanation was like well it depends on your 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 place in life and your situation. And I, that actually helps me because it, it almost seems more akin to like that idea of like, well, when you've been given much, much will be asked of you. But until then, it's like God isn't expecting you to, you know, be Jesus when you're trying to just make it. You know? Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> like, that's so if they were doing that experiment, which they probably were on college bachelor students, all of those bachelor students were pu- pu- putting themselves in those shoes and going and answering the question basically based on, uh, would you finish that paper you've been working on? Would you come to class tomorrow? You know, if you, you know, now that you've been thinking about your own death, like it's like right around the corner, you know, and they're all thinking, hell no, of course not. <laughs> Why would right. I do that? Like, I, I hate this. This is all for, this I is know. all means to an end. And I don't even believe the end is coming. I just do this because I've been told to do it. So I think that's a really, a really strong factor. I mean, well, that's an interesting thing, too. That's another wrinkle. If, like, so, because I could very plausibly think that if you did have that situation where you're like, well, well, would you come back and, you know, think about your mortality. Would you come back and finish that paper? Would you come back to class or whatever? And you're like, no. And then you would live a different way. But I honestly think that, that the way you would live is organically closely approximating the cultural standard bearer in some sense, because I think you would live in a way that is naturally more akin to what we consider good behavior. Like, I don't think, you know, like you wouldn't leave. And then like, if someone were like, you're terminally ill, you have four weeks to live. And you were like, well, I'm going to quit my job. I don't think you would be like, well, time for hedonism, time to go gamble for the first time, time to drive 80 miles per hour on the freeway, you know, like time to do all these things. I mean, you might, but I think most people would be like, time to fix all those regrets about my relationships and be the kind of person that I've always been wanting to be because I don't have much time left. If you're the kind of person that actually has relationships, though. So like me, I would think if I, if someone said, you're going to die in you know, three years, you know, three years. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, you could play around with that too. Three, yeah, four, five, it, it makes a difference. It, it makes a difference. Yeah. So the calculus, like if it was in a week, I wouldn't do anything. What I would probably do is list all of my stuff that Kim can't use on Facebook marketplace, sell all of it, write her, give her $20,000 in cash. And, spend the rest of my time with her uh, and my family. If it was three years, I might do something very similar, maybe. And that would be like a really dynamic decision. Like, do you, will it, 
what will be the best for her? You know, well, if I, cause that's all I have is like her, you know? So it's like, do I go to work despite the fact that I've been working for the past like five years to not have to work for anybody else? Do I just bite the bullet, go do it, save every penny, not worry about spending any of it on myself because I'm going to be dead soon anyways, who gives a fuck? And then just give her the best situation that I could possibly leave. So I've done something for you. Or maybe I say, I'm going to do that. And then she says, I don't want you to do any of that. Just stay home and like, let's do vacation. Then I would do that. Like it would be completely probably contingent upon. Now I might not take shit, you know, like I might start doing heroin and then people will be like, oh, you can't do heroin. I'd be like, well, I can. Fuck you. But like, just don't let it bother you because I'm going to die anyways. You know what I mean? I'm not going to kill myself. I just, I just want to feel really good before I die. So just chill. It's no big deal. So, you know what I mean? So I, would I think be a little scared if you did that. Well, it's a mix. Like it wouldn't be to suicide. It would just be like if you know heroin specifically. If you did other drugs, I think I'd be more okay, but heroin's a little scared. Well, I but would just yes. I mean pain pills would be fine. I like those. But you know Sure, yeah. Get the Percocets out. Yeah. Just like a half of one. That's fine. I don't mean I don't need a lot. I just wanna Maybe. just wanna chill. But if I know, you know, it's all going nowhere. So yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think uh well, I think, yeah, the conclusion really of this study is like when faced with mortality, people choose to live, like live their lives. They choose life like right now in the present, not like the afterlife abstractly, which is an interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, that's a weird thing. I, and that's the other thing about Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson. Like they're also famous. So like they already they're already gaining so much personally from their kind of legacy status you know like their ability to actually leave a mark like millions of people will remember them like they have a fucking wikipedia you know like they've written multiple Mm. books you know like things like that it's like that's your mark that and so of course like of course you're thinking. Well, then about the stakes that. are higher almost if you're like in their position. Right. So they have like, to. Well, that's been the last couple the right days because exactly. there's so many people who will think about right. me and remember me. Whereas like us, it's like, I mean, so that all is who's their remember me maybe is my family. Yeah, but yeah. but that's this maybe it, to me. I'm looking at that going. That might be the same basic motivation. It's just a different position in life. Like that's still a kind of a personal motivation, like a hedonistic whatever motivation they mm-hmm. just have the fucking luxury of being like i'm fighting for the good of all commute all culture and society you know you know that was the jordan peterson version but same for sam harris you know like i'm trying to make sure that i leave the world a better place like of course they would <laughs> say that because that's where they are i don't know i also feel like i'm kind of uh, like a weirder abrasive type of person so i probably and like if I'm ever in like a psychological experiment, I'm probably like a nuisance variable where it's like, <laughs> shit, this is. Get that noise out of the yeah, data. Yeah, literally. Like that's. Oh, my God. Well, it's tricky. Yeah, I feel like there's a, a it's gray. You know, where do you draw the line between these two yes, people? Exactly. I think there's a line to be drawn between the cultural standard bearer who's like just doing it for themselves and the cultural standard bearer who's like a tyrant who's like everybody needs to uphold the cultural standard. That's, I think, you know, and maybe you are more likely to become that person when you are upholding cultural standards. You're more likely to become tyrannical about it more so than if you're just the person who's like, I'm living doing me for 
you know, I'm not living for other people. Yeah, a thousand, that kind of thing. A thousand percent. And that falls perfectly in line, I believe, with the I decompensation theory. Not like I'm trying to harp on like this is like a great theory. I'm just saying like it works in the theory to say that like if your position is what is is doing well and that then that probably means you're basically in balance with this with this theory you know like you're you have you're long-term goals your relationship or whatever yeah your relationships yeah. are working well because you're feel, you have the sense of progress you know basically continually in in each moment as the things you do they work out you get rewarded for that otherwise you wouldn't feel all those things it's kind of a tautology in a way like of course that's working out and then the better off you are you know, I mean, I, maybe I would feel like if I had a. It's like the more feedback you're getting that what you're doing is that's good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you do get. So say I think a lot of people will talk about capitalism in this way where it's like, well, it's a good system because you it's like uh, what would people say? Enforced uh, reciprocity or enforced uh, generosity or whatever. Like you have to do things that other people like, essentially. Like you can't make a product that no one likes. And so that's a good thing. And the feedback that you're getting is good because it it like is a social good that you're doing other things, like you're cooperating socially. And so you could think about like people who have lots of money, like we are almost like criticizing them. Well, it's like, oh, well, you're getting lots of feedback potentially that like what you're doing is a good thing. And uh, but it's interesting because that could also be there's like a tension there because it's not always true that. Like what I just said about capital, that's not always true. Like sometimes you're getting feedback, like you're making more money, but you're not doing good things. Like when you slash 20% of your staff and you leave them out on the street and your your profits soar and, you know, that's not a good thing for you, for a community, for generally, morally. Well, that's not, not um, true. It is good for you, but it's not good for your community. Oh, I got, well, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's all about... I was thinking in the more broad sense, like, I don't think it's healthy for you oh, yeah. like as a person to do something so morally wrong. It's like, but. what are your metrics, though? Like, what... I mean, publicly traded companies is kind of a, a... Whatever, I don't know what... I get the basic idea of how that was supposed to be good, but, like, what that's turned into is... It just doesn't... It works, but it doesn't work. You know, like, it... It ruins companies. It ruins companies a lot of times, you know, and it make it gives this weird shareholder profit motive thing precedence over everything. So that that's the only metric that actually matters. It doesn't even matter if you're Elon Musk and most of your profit is coming essentially from the utilization of products that are manufactured right. with slave labor. Like that is not important. Nobody fucking cares. We're still going to buy your car, apparently. That doesn't matter. The only metric that matters is are you returning value to your shareholders? And I don't know how that system got so fucked, but that's how fucked it is. And Well, sure, yeah, that's crazy on its own. But put that aside for a second and then just think about like – so in general, what you're doing is receiving kind of like consensus feedback. Like you're doing what's socially acceptable and that that is interesting because there's also wisdom that we hear that's like – the right thing is the hard thing often. It's not a thing that everyone wants you to do. And so that's almost what the other person is doing when they're like, I'm not living for other people. I'm living according to what I well, know. Yeah. Is right. Here's I have an example of some some way we could think about this. So there's this guy right down the road from me, and he has it's just like a big pit. And he's got all this machinery in there like tractors and this like this blend like this grinder thing like you could put a whole 
freaking tree in this thing and he'll grind it into mulch. He makes mulch and a ton of his a tree blender literally like it just makes mulch, red mulch, black mulch, natural mulch, just mulch, mulch, mulch everywhere, pine mulch, hardwood mulch. And a long time he's been there forever. And a long time ago, he used to buy. So he would buy like lump like like trees and shit like to turn into mulch. And so like a logging company or he would buy them from the guys who come and cut down trees. If you have a tree come down your yard or you want to take a tree out, whatever. Well, times have changed for that guy. He grew his business. He grew it really well, really big, makes tons of money. And now in the market changed enough that he now gets paid. So if I'm a, if I cut down a tree and I want to, I want to sell it. Good fucking luck. If it's to him, because he won't buy it. In fact, if I want to give him that tree to get it off my property, he makes me pay him to give him the tree. Then he blends the tree up. Then he sells the mulch. And he's the main guy in town. Now, there's, he's obviously had plenty of quote-unquote positive feedback with his like the growth of his business, the yada, yada, however he got there. And maybe he's got a little bit of a kind of a type of monopoly at the moment where he can kind of set prices so so intensely that he went from paying to 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 receiving money for these things which is kind of crazy and <laughs> i receive money for my supplies it's amazing it's amazing <laughs> i mean hand over fist oh fuck so i just i always i don't i mean just for fun because he's always he's just right there next to me i think about like how would you compete with him cuz there are people that don't like him and uh, over time, you know, people have kind of developed. Everyone thinks he's really mean. Like he's not like even personally, like people don't like him. His name's Cowart. But, uh, you know, I thought, how would you compete with this guy? Like, theoretically, I could buy a, a big wood chipper, you know, $15,000 wood chipper, $20,000 wood chipper. It's nothing like what he's got. I mean, he's got millions of dollars worth of stuff. But I could just grind up mulch. And I could get all the supply I need by just saying, you can bring your stuff to me for free. Instead of having to pay Cowart to get rid of your your trees, I'll take them and I'll just turn them into mulch myself and I'll compete with Cowart. And I think that would work. I don't know if I can handle the capacity, but you know what I'm saying? Like, so you, this competition that's incorporated into a capitalist society, in theory, you know, in theory, kind of, has the ability to mitigate some of those negative things. It's a, uh, you know, over time, who knows, you know, I, I could just well, you know, extrapolate yes. that to the okay. nth degree. And eventually maybe you actually make more or you compete tete-a-tete with Cowart because you're capable of that because he now may, and maybe what actually ends up happening is he starts it, puts pressure on him and now he has to let you bring him logs for free again. So the competition puts that pressure to where now, Oh, now you don't get paid to have supplies delivered to you. Now you have to pay for your supplies like the rest of us. Yeah. Well, if capitalism is like an enlightenment idea and enlightenment being like the, not like, uh, I was going to say liberation of the individual, but it's not liberation of the individual. It's like recognition of the, sanctity the inherent uh freedom of the individual and the equality of people i think that that is what fostered 
the kind of economic system that we have, where it's like everyone competes in the marketplace, everyone can make their own business. And I think that that is interesting because then everyone is doing, you know, what they feel like they are called to do or whatever. And I think that that's very different than the cultural standard bearer kind of society, the collectivist, where it's like we all have to live up to some sort of cultural, social ideal. Um, and that that is, yeah, that you're just doing what's socially acceptable then. And then the feedback is like baked in because it's like, well, the the good part of that is that I get social validation, social acceptance. Um, but that doesn't make what you're doing good or right. Um, and so, yeah, I thought it was interesting because the way it was framed in here earlier in the study is like, well, those are the value, like the, the cultural standard where is the one who's righteous, who's living up to the values or whatever. And it's like, well, according to who? And it's like, according to the social Whatever the standard. values are but currently, that, yeah. Right, but the wrinkle is like, we know that like, even if you believe something like the Bible where it's like, you know, uh, be good, tell the truth, you know, whatever. It's like, we we also recognize it that means something different for everybody and it doesn't Yeah, I mean the Bible the, same. the Bible probably says you should be nice to your slaves rather than saying you shouldn't have them. You know what I mean? It's like it's a lot of it's very contextual. Yeah, well there's that too and I was just making the point though that it's like this cultural standard bearer almost like implies that like oh well what's good culturally and socially all looks the same and it would be us all like helping the poor or yeah, something. Yeah, which is, and it's can't like, be true. Like, because we, we, I, I mean, yeah, we use those examples all the time. Like, Friedberg thinks it's good to, it's better, like, morally good to eat, like, meat out of a vat. You know, like, that's good. And, like, I don't think that. I think that's an abomination. Right. So, like, we literally, you could give us a more specific description of a person and we would, like, literally rate them differently, not because we think, but maybe like only because we have different standards. So we just don't even like that. Basically that question they tried to make sure, do you believe it? Did we make do a good job of making this person seem altruistic? And then we said, yes, you know, it's like, I might, you know what I mean? Like that's where you kind of missing, like a variable can get a little muddy. Cause it's like, I might even still say yes, but I still might not. Agree. Sure, there's other stuff that I might have thought about. Yeah, the way before that, you know, yeah, way before I th- talk about leaving marks on society and shit. Like, give me a break, you know, I live in a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's almost like, too, yeah, look, I don't have the capacity to even help the poor, so um, I am the poor. <laughs> like, yeah, literally. That's a <laughs> different situation there. That's why psychology as a, field, a scientific field is so... I mean, just it's so intense. And I mean, the replication crisis is a problem in all of science. But in psychology, I I would be I would not have I wouldn't bat an eye if you told me less than less than two percent of all psychological studies can be replicated would not even flinch at that. I, I expect it's probably less than that. Oh, yeah. There's just so much stuff you can't control for. And there's so much unknown. I mean, it's not like an experiment, like a like a physics experiment, so where it's like everything is very one drop of sulfur. Like we're accounting yeah, for you can't everything. Do that. Yeah, 
we're not like, okay, well, clear your mind. Only think these couple things now. And yeah, forget about, <laughs> I'm going to record. Forget about your life and all the complex, contextually relevant information about it. And just think about dying. It's like. Just think about dying. Yeah. They like hypnotize forget, you in yes, all psychological You almost experience. should. Maybe they should. Like forget that you have $80 million in the bank. Don't let that affect your answer here. It's like how could you not? That's the whole point. That's the back to the theory. Your life position determines most of your motivational, you know, right. effectors exactly. or whatever. Yeah, but then even if we did hypnotize everybody, then we'd just be getting the effects of hypnotized people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Not, whatever. Now, now you're not getting <laughs> so the information you want anymore. That's that's psychology. <laughs> all right. Well, this is the end. I'm gonna I gotta go to work. So all right. We've well, we had a fun time. This is the end of the podcast, Woo! and we'll see you later next time. <laughs>